You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. What is going on, Speedy? Your weekend is not in Boston with your family, but you're here with me. Birthday shout out to my mother. Her birthday was yesterday. Two of my brothers, Ryan and Ian, along with my parents, actually went to the Rangers Bruins game at TD Garden today as a birthday gift for her invertly. They've been trying to schedule this since my brother Ryan went to Northeastern, and it seems like every weekend the Rangers play against the Bruins, it's always either a holiday weekend or a week where he was on spring break. So they were never able to coordinate it, but finally they were able to get it going. There was a bit of a scare last week because my brother Aiden got COVID. That's a scare. Yeah. It's like a cold now. Well, okay, but the fact that they almost couldn't go is still... A bit of a scare because he couldn't go? He's not flying off a train or he's not jumping off a bridge. Anyways. It's a horror movie. (laughs) We have a great show lined up. A little bit later in the show, we'll be talking to Iowa State NFL draft prospect tight end Charlie Kohler, one of the high tight end prospects in this year's draft, top five in almost every person's board. Very nice kid. Very excited to get him on, and, and he's a really, really smart kid. Looking forward to getting Mr. Kohler on the show. We will get into the NBA playoffs. Yes, the Brooklyn Nets down 2-0 and been absolutely horrible. Kevin Durant getting all the blame all over social media. People are really attacking this man because he scored 27 points in game number two. Now, is Kevin Durant playing great basketball? No. But Kyrie Irving, he showed up game one and completely disappeared in game number two. We will also get into the Phoenix Suns and a lot of injuries happening early in the NBA playoffs. Middleton from Milwaukee could be out three to four weeks. That could really hurt Milwaukee's chances of repeating the Phoenix Suns. The other team that made it to the NBA Finals last year against Milwaukee loses their top scorer in Devin Booker. He could be out two to three weeks for a grade one hamstring pull. So that'll be very interesting because the Pelicans are really playing good basketball. The series is really close. As you can see, the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference have a lot of interesting things happening. We will also get into the Yankees and the Mets. The Yankees hitting 176 and guys in scoring position. They are tied in first place right now in the AL East. It's so tight with Toronto, the Yankees, Tampa, and the Boston Red Sox. So the Yankees not really playing good baseball. Their starting rotation has been horrible. Garrett Cole got pulled in the second inning in his last start. 64 pitches against the Detroit Tigers. I know it was cold, but the only pitcher that's really pitched well for the Yankees is Luis Saverino, and that's crazy to say that. He's been out of baseball almost two years, so we will get into the Yankees. The Mets have been sizzling hot. They've been unbelievable, and a lot of the credit goes to Buck Showalter's managing, and Francisco Lindor, who had a terrible start of the season last year, has been one of the hottest players in baseball, and yes, the Polar Bear has 14 RBIs, and they're 
extraordinary starting rotation. We will also get into football. The NFL draft is right around the corner. It's a week away. The Jets and Debo Samuel have been talking as Debo Samuel has come out and said to the 49ers he wants to be traded on social media. He wants to move out east where his family is in South Carolina. There's a lot of ties with the New York Jets. Do the Jets make the move before the draft to get their wide receiver they've been desperately looking for as they failed to land Tyreek Hill. We'll get into Baker Mayfield as he's been dangled around by the Browns, torturing him as he wants out of the Cleveland Browns. He wants another starting job. There's not many starting jobs out there. Cleveland has gone from, they are not trading from less than a first round to now we're hearing could be a second round draft pick. So if you can get Baker Mayfield for a second round draft pick, I would definitely be reaching out to the Browns trying to make that move because I still think Baker is a starter in this league and can fill in a lot of weaknesses for a lot of teams that are looking for quarterbacks as we speak. Kyler Murray, who wants a big contract from the Arizona Cardinals, has told them, if you don't give me my contract, trade me. That's going to be an interesting story moving closer to the NFL draft. We'll get into the draft, and we will be talking to Iowa State prospect, who's going to be in the NFL draft this year. Really looking at the third or fourth round where he could be drafted, and I predict he's going to Green Bay, and I will tell him why I think he's going to Green Bay when he gets on the show. Let's get into some basketball, and it seems like the Brooklyn Nets, who a lot of people before the season started were thinking that the Brooklyn Nets were going to be favorites of winning the whole thing. But the Brooklyn Nets, going into the series, they weren't the favorites. The Celtics have been one of the hottest teams in basketball in the second half of the season. Tatum should have been an MVP candidate. He's been sensational in the second half. He had a terrible first half. Jalen Brown was killing it. And then after the All-Star break, I don't know what happened to Tatum, but he just took it to a whole nother level. One of the hottest players in all of basketball for like two months. But not only that, the Boston Celtics all season long have been the number one defense in almost every single overall number in the NBA. There is no Ben Simmons right now because he's hurt or he's eating Twinkies on the sideline or something or drinking his Coke. Who knows what he's doing? Or maybe he's hanging out with one of the Kardashians. Going into this series, you would think that Kyrie Irving has a lot to prove. A guy that has been booed Plenty of times since he has jumped ship from Boston to Brooklyn. Uh, a lot of the Boston fans are not fond of Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving, when he was there, told the Boston Celtics that he would like to stay there, that he would like to be a Boston Celtic for life. And then after the season was over, he jumped ship. There were stories coming out that he was going to New York and then decided to go to Brooklyn with the great and powerful KD. And KD did not look good in game number one. Looked like he didn't even want to play. And I know everybody looks at his numbers. He scored 23 points. That is not KD-like. He was forcing up threes throughout the game. He just didn't look like he was in a good flow. Kyrie Irving took over the game for the Brooklyn Nets. At one point, the Brooklyn Nets took over after a 16-point deficit in the fourth quarter, came back, were up six or seven points with three or four minutes left. The Celtics were playing catch-up, a four-point lead with a minute and a half left of the game. They kept a two-point lead with two and a half seconds left, and then they got fouled and couldn't hit foul shots. And then all of a sudden, Tatum gets up, he shoots a layup right over Kyrie Irving because he can't defend, and the Celtics win. Game number two, Kyrie Irving doesn't show up. And Kevin Durant hits some shots, especially in the fourth quarter. But again, this team does not have any bench help. This team does not play quality defense. And that's why Ben Simmons is so very important in this series. And that's why they have to rush him back. Now, there are stories coming out that Ben Simmons should be back in game four. But it could be too little too late because... If they lose game three, it doesn't matter if Ben Simmons comes back. You look at this series, and I know a lot of people think the Celtics are that much better than the Nets. They're not. Now, the Nets are the veteran team. The Nets 
arguably have the two best players in the series. I think Kyrie Irving has proven to be a top-end offensive player in the playoffs. We all know what Kevin Durant has done. He's won two championships. He was two-time MVP in those playoffs. He's a fantastic playoff player. So you can't make any excuses for Kevin Durant, and you can't make any excuses for Kyrie Irving, who also won a championship with the Cavaliers and was a big part of it, too. But what you see, Speedy, with the Boston Celtics is you got a young, hungry Tatum, a young, hungry Jalen Brown. You have a young... Marcus Smart, who won Defensive Player of the Year, congratulations to him. This team is driving on all cylinders right now. Yeah, and you could tell, too, that they play a good identity of basketball, too. I think even though they switched over from Brad Stevens to Ime Adoka as coaching, a lot of those system of ball movement, a lot of the system of smart shooting, even when their offense hasn't been the potent offense, it's still getting production and it's still been efficient. A lot of depth in this game from their young players, too. Guys like Grant Williams stepping up, Preeton Pritchard. And Marcus Smart offensively, too, I really think has been the X factor in the series because that's not what he's known for. He scored 20 points in game one, scored 12 points and a five assists in game number two. Tatum and Brown, they're going to do their thing. But even Tatum, it took him a while to get going in game two. The Nets shut him down for much of the first half. And Jalen Brown was kind of streaky throughout that game too, offensively speaking, but got it going late. The defense was the big thing though, because the Nets had an eight point lead in the fourth quarter of game two and only scored two points for like six minutes straight. And for a team that's as potent offensively as the Nets are supposed to be, that's inexcusable. Now, Kyrie Irving went off the way he did in game one, both on the court and with his gestures to the Boston crowd that has been hostile in the past. Which you love it. You love that he has that personality. I know he loves when he gets booed and and when he's scoring and he's sticking it to him, but he shouldn't be doing the things on and off the court. He's taking it too far. Yeah, Yeah, that was a bit of a new extreme. The Celtics fans, we didn't hear anything that was like derogatory like we've seen at Russell Westbrook in the past, like Donovan Mitchell we've seen from Utah fans in the past, and we've seen from Boston fans with Kyrie Irving a couple years ago, too, when he first was on the Nets. Boston fans are not very nice people. But that instance didn't occur in this game. It was mainly just heckling at that point, booing, and Kyrie Irving took it to the latest extreme with that. And then I guess it got in his head a bit in game two. He really struggled badly to score the basketball. And Kevin Durant, not efficient either. They both combined eight for 30, too, which the Nets are never going to win if they have that kind of identity. Yes, Bruce Brown had the one scoring spurt in the game. You can't expect that to happen every single time. Meanwhile, the Celtics have a lot of guys you could trust to score the basketball, which the Nets clearly don't have. And Ben Simmons, even if he does come back, they're going to have to win game three without him. And you still have to try to get some level of a defensive identity because Ben Simmons doesn't provide much offensively either. If the Brooklyn Nets win game number three and Ben Simmons comes back, they have a chance. Ben Simmons could really take away some of the deficiencies they have defensively. And if Ben Simmons was playing in that game number one and he was defending Tatum, Tatum doesn't score. And Brooklyn wins game number one. And it right now, this series could be 1-1 right now. And then we could be talking about a completely totally different series right now for the Brooklyn Nets. But it's 2-0 right now. They're going back to Brooklyn. Kevin Durant is going to have to have a 40-point game against Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart for them to have a chance to win game number three. Because Kyrie Irving, I think they figure out what they need to do with Kyrie Irving. They keep him on the perimeter. If he's not hitting his shots throughout the game, he's going to pass the ball, and he's going to probably pass it to Kevin Durant because nobody else can hit a shot except Seth Curry, which tells you the depth on the Brooklyn Nets is not good. Now, even if Ben Simmons comes back, he's a defensive guy. He's not an offensive guy. We all know he can't shoot. He can get to the hole. He's a good passer. He's a good facilitator. For his size and his ability, he would be 
a fantastic all-around point guard. He's not a shooter. He's not going to be that guy that's going to give you 30 points like a Russell Westbrook has or James Harden has or even a Kyrie Irving. What he could do is he could play the point position. He can draw a lot of small guys to defend him, which creates mismatches for Kevin Durant and sometimes Kyrie Irving. It might be a great thing to see Ben Simmons get on the court as soon as possible, but remember, it's going to take Ben Simmons a little bit uh, to get his sea legs on the court. He hasn't played in over a year. That puts him in position where he's going to get tired a little bit quicker. And he, How many minutes is he going to play? 15? That's not enough, especially against this Boston Celtic team that could score and also play defense. So it's going to be very interesting. And also you're going to really trust Steve Nash to manage his minutes, right? Well, let's not talk about Steve Nash <laughs> yeah. either, who's been absolutely horrible in this yeah. series. But we expected it. Steve Nash is not a good man. He's a figurehead coach. Yeah. He's not a good coach. He took this job because he got a chance to coach Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, two of the best players in the NBA, two of the top 10 players in the NBA. But as good as Kyrie Irving is, Kyrie Irving has made mistakes on and off the court. And you see what he did. He got fined for $50,000 because of what he did to the Boston fans, flipping them. And when he walked to the locker room, telling the fans to go F themselves. Throughout this playoff now, this is the best part of the NBA season. If you look at the Eastern Conference right now, Miami and Atlanta, Miami is just completely destroying Atlanta. And the reason why they're completely destroying Atlanta is Atlanta is not as dominant as they've been, you know, for the last two years. I've told everybody about Nate McMillan. I didn't think he was a good coach last year. He hit lightning in a bottle. Young is one of the more prolific offensive players in the league, but teams know that now. So what do they do? They double team him and make the other players beat him. And they're not a good offensive team. They're just not. But this series is as good as done. Miami has been the best team in the Eastern Conference this year, and they're going to move on in this series. They're going to have to probably play the Philadelphia 76ers, mm-hmm. the James Harden-less Philadelphia 76 I know everybody's going to say James Harden is playing. He is playing, but he might as well sit the bench or he might as well not play because he hasn't shown up in the playoffs. Yeah, they've done better as a team when he's a third option, and that's the approach that the Sixers have succeeded with. Could you believe that? Embiid and Maxi are one and two. One of the best players in the NBA is a third option. You have a kid in Maxi who is a better option than James Harden in the playoffs. What does that tell you about James Harden? Inefficiency. I know they're playing a restless Toronto Raptors team that are not the same Toronto Raptors team that won an NBA championship a couple of years ago. Kyle Lowry right now is playing for Miami as a backup point guard. And this Toronto team is depending on Siakam to do everything. And I was very surprised Toronto was a fifth seed. They played very well this year with some of the deficiencies they had. You give them a lot of credit, but they're done in that series. It's going to be Miami and Philadelphia in the second round. And I expect that to be a fun series. Milwaukee, I thought they were going to breeze right through Chicago, especially the way Chicago has played throughout the second half of the season. DeRozan hasn't played well. Levine has played a little bit better than most of the players on this team. But this is not a team that you can honestly say going into the playoffs they were hot. They weren't. They were the number one seed going into the All-Star break and then fell out of it. Now they're the sixth seed and they were one of the worst teams in the second half of the season. But they're in the playoffs and they're very lucky because Middleton gets hurt in game number two. They squeak out the win and now the series is 1-1. And there's a lot of pressure on the Greek freak. And what that does, he's going to have to do more. Other players are going to have to do more. And who does this benefit? It benefits the more depthful Chicago Bulls. They're missing some players as well. They're missing their big point guard and ball. I don't know how big he is, but he's had a decent season. He's not the prolific offensive player like Kyrie Irving is, but he's a good player. He definitely gives them that defensive side. He's a big guard who could defend multiple positions. So losing a guy like Lonzo Ball for maybe this round, it definitely affects them. 
Yeah, Milwaukee's going to have to patch the other scoring depth together, too, because Middleton was the second-best scorer on them throughout the regular season by over a two-point margin. Drew Holiday was third, but he's better as a facilitator-type role. He had a really rough game, too, especially in the fourth quarter. Bobby Portis has been good in the second half of the season. We've seen some flashes from Grayson Allen. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he's actually rebirthed himself nicely in the NBA. Brooke Lopez has shown flashes. Old man Brooke. They need those guys to be better like as a unit. They can't have it be one guy each game, too, because Chicago is a good defensive team. So if Giannis does everything, and we've seen him get bracketed at time, we've seen him, when they force him to shoot, it's not the same look at what Miami did to him in the bubble. I'm not saying Chicago has those exact capabilities, but there are a good enough defensive team where if they don't have that other depth Milwaukee to score, they might have some problems. Every team in the West is licking their lips right now because Phoenix lose one of their big scores in Devin Booker for two to three weeks. What does that do? Definitely affects where this Western Conference is heading. That series, who would have thought that the series with the Pelicans is tied 1-1? CJ McCollum, some of the young players over there, they do not have Williamson, but this team is still a prolific offensive team. And with Phoenix losing that particular player, could the Pelicans shock the world and have one of the biggest NBA upsets and knock off the number one seed, Phoenix Suns? I believe that it could happen. Now, especially with the deficiencies that Phoenix has had in game number two with their offense. The good thing for the Pelicans is that you saw even in game one, even when Booker was playing, the the bench unit for the Pelicans actually outplayed the bench unit for the Suns, which the Suns are so deep that that should never happen with Cameron Payne, Landry Shamet, they just traded for, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, they got all kinds of depth even beyond their stars, but we've seen teams in the past in the NBA playoffs do well, even with stars out, so I'm not too worried about the Suns. We saw the Clippers last year without Kawhi Leonard still make it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. We've seen Miami without a lot of their top players do well at not necessarily winning at all, but still being pesky for the Pelicans. They can't just coast and they can't just be overconfident just because Devin Booker is out because this team for the Suns is still loaded and as deep as it gets. That Dallas series, I know Dallas was the higher seed, but Utah throughout the last couple of years have been one of the more dominant teams in the Western Conference and with Donovan Mitchell and the coach possibly being fired, all the different accolades that that have been going around in Utah, you would think this team was going to show up in this Dallas series. They really haven't played well. Dallas, who would have thought that Dallas and Brunson, who's playing great basketball right now, who's a free agent, by the way, and the Knicks have been recruiting Julius Randle's recruiting. He's over there with World Wide West and Allen Houston trying to recruit Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. So who knows what's going to happen in the offseason. But this Dallas series is not surprising. Luka Doncic, obviously, is the superstar player in this series. And I really think Dallas... Dallas is just going to roll right through Utah. I think Utah's done. I just They don't look like the Utah Jazz team we've seen over the last couple of years. They just look lost. Yeah, they look like they just don't really care. Checked out. Seen Donovan Mitchell already forcing his way out already. And Quinn Snyder, he's probably going to get another job even if he loses the Utah job. But still, this team doesn't look interested right now. Dallas, with Luka Doncic in and out with injury, too, has also gotten their depth to outplay Utah's depth, which should never happen. You got guys like Max Kleber playing well, and Dorian Finney-Smith, and in addition to the other top players, we've seen Spencer Dinwiddie play well in Bronson, like you mentioned, but all these new guys for Dallas coming through, Utah should have a big advantage depth-wise, and they don't, and yeah, it seems like Dallas is just going to really coast in this series. Whether they go further or not is another question, but overcoming the injury so far the best that we've seen when Luka hasn't been on the court, but so far so good, and yeah, Utah just looks disinterested. And then 
there's Golden State and Denver. And if you want to say just complete dominance in that series, say it. Because I feel bad for Denver. No Murray. Why he's not playing, I don't know. He's supposedly healthy now. He obviously doesn't think he's in basketball shape. Porter, if this series goes a little bit further, he could show up in this series. And that could benefit Denver. But this Denver team is not at full strength. They haven't been at full strength all season. And Jokic, who has been one of the best players in the league, MVP candidate again, and could win it, taking all the pressure on from this team who is this is a G League team that is a six seed in a very hard Western Conference. You have to give a lot of credit to the coaching and Jokic who's been one of the more dominant players in the league. It's just a shame they don't have any depth Speedy. Yeah, it's a team that's been so good with depth for years, but it's really hard when you lost two key pieces like that. Two of the so, biggest pieces of the yeah, team. When you're playing an offense as potent as we've seen Golden State be, it's going to be very hard to make up that kind of scoring and the Joker's done all he's could. He's played his butt off this series, but they just haven't gotten any help. They're double and, and triple teaming him. They're not giving him any chances Even on in boards. a game where Golden State in game three didn't look their best either, they still couldn't steal it. Just they don't have enough offense. And then the final Memphis and Minnesota series. I think this is the best series of the Western Conference. I expect this to go six or seven. Memphis, which is the number two seed, but Minnesota all season long has been one of the more dominant offensive teams in the league with Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. I, I think this is a prolific offensive team, which has actually played pretty good defense, and they almost were up two to one in this series and then completely choked in game number three. I think that this series is far from over. I think Minnesota could win game number four and take this back to Memphis 2-2. Another series that could really take it to seven. I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota wins this series. I think this is going to be a determination of a gut check for Minnesota if they can come out strong in game four and that'll prove a lot about this coaching and the development of these young players because this was a team that wasn't supposed to do anything this year. They were a surprise playoff team, a seven seed and one game one in Memphis. So you could tell they were definitely playing with some confidence but we'll see if they end up losing that. Two 25 point leads is very hard to overcome especially against a team as good talented and as deep as Memphis is. They probably have the second most depth in the NBA in the Western Conference outside of Phoenix when Phoenix is healthy. If they could bounce back in Game 4, yes, this could definitely be an interesting series. We could see seven games. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some football conversation. Debo Samuel has reached a complete limit with the 49ers. Trade me. I don't want to be here. I don't want a new contract. I want to go to the East Coast. My family's there. So Debo Samuel has put himself on the trade track. What train track needs to be run down for the Jets to get him? And why not? There's a lot of roots over there with Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur. So when we come back, we'll get into Debo Samuel sweepstakes, the Baker Mayfield sweepstakes, the possible Kyler Murray sweepstakes, and the NFL draft for the Jets and the Giants here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. The season of bad colds and germs are out, and we have still COVID out there. It's It's been more of a cold right now, but I have the bad allergies. I'm trying to get 
get over it. Uh, this is the time of year where I'd get it. It's around my birthday. It's a week away from my birthday. I will be 40 years old, ladies and gentlemen. Old man Rivers you're talking to, Mr. Errol Marks. But happy to be here and entertain you guys for the rest of the show. Very happy to be 40 and still alive and kicking. So thank you to all the fans wishing me a happy birthday throughout my other radio show, The Sports Lab Mounts. Got an email today. Rick reached out to me. I don't even know who he is to wish me a happy birthday. I don't know how he even knows it's my birthday. But anyways, thank you to Rick uh, for wishing me a happy birthday. I really appreciate it. I am 40 years old. Birthday bash in May, so I'm excited about that for all the fans to come in. Maybe I'll invite some of the fans to come and hang out with me on my birthday. Why don't we get into the NFL? You hear all these wide receivers want this big money trail. We saw Devontae Adams push himself out of Green Bay, and now he's playing for the Las Vegas Raiders. Tyreek Hill pushed himself out of Kansas City, and now he's playing for Miami. And now, one of the more prolific offensive players in all of the NFL, Debo Samuel, reached out to the 49ers management and told him, I want to be traded. And we all know, with Tyreek Hill and the money that he's got, and Devontae Adams, the money, what he's gotten, you would think that Debo Samuels would want to stay with the 49ers if they could somehow make a deal where he could be making between 20 and $25 million. He reached out to the 49ers and said that he does not want to be signed with the 49ers. He wants to move out east. He wants to move closer to his family in South Carolina. And so the open markets have opened like the Red Sea. And the New York Jets obviously are going to plant their jet in San Francisco because the Jets have been looking for that big end number one wide receiver, Debo Samuel, who's been in the league for three years, still has a lot of football left, was one of the more fun wide receivers to watch last year in all of football, is now going to be available. The Jets, who have two first-round draft picks, all that draft stock, now the 49ers have given up a ton of draft stock for Trey Lance. Looking at the Jets and what they have at number 10 and maybe a third or fourth round draft pick to get Debo Samuel. They have that 10 pick. They can obviously go and get themselves a younger wide receiver. I don't know if he's going to be a Debo Samuel, but if you remember three years ago, Debo Samuels was a second round draft pick. And wasn't really thought of as that either. He was thought of as maybe the fifth wide receiver in that draft. He was the second one drafted. Do the Jets pull the trigger? It's not just the Jets that are interested in it. We've heard Baltimore. We've heard the Cowboys. Why not kick the can and and see if you can land one of the more talented top five wide receivers in all of football. And the other thing, how his trade value is going to be with two reasons. One, right before the draft, which the closer it gets to the draft, the less reluctant teams are going to trade that high of picks, and the Jets are drafting in the top ten. And the other thing, too, is we've seen player value go down if you're trying to force your way out. The Jets will definitely not need to trade number four pick at this point. Number ten is still up there, maybe along with another, like you were saying, a third round pick or a fourth round pick at this point, because I don't think he'll get traded for the five picks that Tyree Kill did because he's no. not Tyree Kill, and he's not better than Devontae Adams. Even though he's younger, and he could be used as a running back, he could use all of the things. I don't think he'll warrant what Devontae Adams got either, going back to the Packers. I think he's as good as Tyree Kill. Now, he's not as fast as Tyree Kill, but he could do just as much as Tyree Kill. He can run the ball, he can catch the ball, he can throw the ball. We've seen him do all those things, and I think the type of scheme that the Jets like to play, he fits that scheme, and mm-hmm. that's the type of guy that the Jets are looking for to get the arguably the best player for that scheme, and he becomes available on the team that Mike LaFleur was the wide receiving coach when he was a rookie. This fits like a glove for the New York Jets, and they get their guy. Now they have Elijah Moore, 
Debo Samuel. If they keep Mims, I don't think they're going to keep Mims. No, he might be part of the trade, too. Don't be surprised. If they, if they end up trading for a receiver, rather than having to trade all those extra picks that the other teams might have to, the Jets might package Mims. Now, I don't think the 49ers make a lot of sense, but they could trade him somewhere else, too. The Jets will have their two prolific guys, and they have Corey Davis there and Berrios. They went from one of the worst wide receiving cores in the NFL to one of the best, if you had Debo Samuel. Because Corey Davis, he's a good number three, number two. You have Elijah Moore, could be a number one in the future. Braxton Berrios, who's like a Julian Edelman type of guy who gets special teams, he could do everything in that scheme. So the Jets could turn into one of the more fun offensive teams in the AFC, especially if Zach Wilson actually develops. So it's going to be very interesting in the next couple of days and where this draft goes. And with the Jets at number four, I've heard that the Jets interviewed Kevon Thibodeau. Looks like he could fall to the Jets. And if that happens, the Jets could get the pass rusher they've been looking for for a very long time. That would be a dream scenario for the Jets because they need a speed rusher on this defense for sure. Carl Lawson missed all last year. I think he'll come back fine. I'm not worried about that kind of thing. But the Kayvon Thibodeau has the upside if he stays healthy to be better. By the way, Carl Lawson looks really, really good yes. when he's training. But Kayvon Thibodeau is a pass rushing prospect we only see very few of when it comes to a speed rusher of that caliber. Carl Lawson was a good prospect, but I don't think he was the prospect of that kind of caliber too. So you have that as a tandem to go along with the inside that's already been very good. We've seen... Robert Sala's defensive scheme be very good, especially with power rushers inside. They got John Franklin Myers healthier this year. Sheldon Rankins had a lot of injury issues last year. He'll be healthy. So they have that combination to go along with somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau and Carl Lawson. They can have that lethal pass rush that you could take over again. We saw some good flashes already from the secondary. That would be a dream scenario for the Jets if, if somehow he does end up falling, which is looking more and more likely because both the Jaguars and Lions are interested in possibly taking Trayvon Walker. We've heard Houston interested in a defensive back. Maybe Maybe those scenarios do fall well for the Jets, where Thibodeau's there at four. That would be a very good move for the New York Jets. They get the wide receiver that they've really been asking for, and then they get arguably the best pass rusher in this year's draft. They put themselves in a very good position, especially a powerhouse AFC. Are the Jets going to be a Super Bowl contender this year? No. But if you add a Debo Samuel this year and a Kayvon Thibodeau, and they can stay healthy, they could be a borderline playoff team this year. And then next year, people are going to be talking about the New York Jets being that contender with the money that they're going to have still on the board where they can add a player or two. Even if they pay a Debo Samuel, they're still going to have money. The Jets are positioned very, very well to succeed, especially with the players that they have. As far as the Giants are concerned, the Giants are going to be drafting at 5-7. and The interesting thing about this draft is the Giants are going to get themselves two really good players. Now, do they draft the pass rusher at number five, or do they draft the offensive lineman at number five? And at five and seven, Speedy, do they draft both offensive line talent over there in the first round? I'm not against it if they do it at two offensive linemen, but the Giants haven't had a consistently good offensive line since 2008. Even their Super Bowl team in 2011, a lot of it was patched together because they had a lot of injury issues. And since then, it's really been abysmal, no matter who's been the coach, no matter who's been the quarterback. So So, yeah, there's definitely scenarios for that to happen. And we were talking about the weird scenarios before with the Jaguars and the Lions and the Texans at the top three. That could leave other offensive linemen available for the Giants, too, where they can get a combination of Equanu and Cross or a combination of Equanu and Lindenbaum or something like that. There's a lot of offensive line needy teams for sure, but all three of those top three teams are wild cards. The Giants went off after some veteran guys, but none of those are really, like, great guys. But also, if the pass rusher becomes available, that might be hard to pass up, too. The Giants, I would also consider trading back at seven as well. The other rumor that's interesting that's come out now is a lot of corners have been mocked to the Giants, whether it's Stingley or Sauce Gardner. Maybe they're thinking they're going to trade Bradbury too. So don't be surprised if that rumor comes out, if Bradbury is traded, or even if Bradbury gets traded during the draft after they make the pick. If Gardner is sitting there at seven, the Giants have to draft him. 
you're talking about a guy that could be a shutdown corner of the century. They're comparing his skills to a Darrell Revis slash Jalen Ramsey. And if he becomes anywhere close to Darrell Revis or Jalen Ramsey, you're, you're talking about an elite defender. Now, I do have a problem with his size. He's not Jalen Ramsey's size. Right. Thin guy. He is tall. He's going to have to get a little bit beefier. Does it affect his speed? I'm very hypocritical on Sauce Gardner, even though I think he's a fantastic prospect. I think Stingley is still the guy that stands out out of all the corners in this year's draft. Maybe because he plays for LSU. Maybe that Jamar Chase is speaking highly of him and has played with him. And Jamar Chase is one of the best wide receivers in all of football, all pro player. And when he says that Stingley is the best corner in this year's draft, I would believe him because he played against him. So that would only tell you one thing, that if Stingley's defending him in practices and stopping Jamar Chase, don't you think he could do that in the NFL? So it's going to be very, very interesting when it comes to the corner position and where the Giants go in this year's draft at 5-7. and seven. Because remember, the Giants are not loaded on the back end of their draft. No. They're loaded on the front end with the two first-round draft picks. And I think they got a fourth in the Chicago trade as well. Yeah. So going into this draft, their first, second, and third rounds are so very important. And they got to draft right. They got to make the right decisions because they don't have a lot of money. They overpaid guys like Galladay in the offseason <laughs> last year. They're rebuilding. Now their coaching staff is, I think, very good. It's definitely better than we've seen it in a very, very long time with the offensive coordinator – that they added and the defensive coordinator that they added and obviously the new coach in Dable. I think where the Giants are sitting right now, they're positioned very well. Now, they just got to make sure that they're protecting Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones is going to be ready for this season. The Giants just have to make sure they don't do what past GMs did and just take their guy just because it's their guy, even if it looks like a reach. We saw Jerry Reese do that a lot at the end of his tenure. We saw Dave Gettleman certainly do that at certain points. Not that they were horrible drafters, but they could have been a lot better in terms of the true value. And this GM... Obviously, he's not going to duplicate everything for Buffalo that Brandon Bean has done, but they've always seemed to get good true value there. So hopefully he could translate at least to some extent to the Giants, especially in the trenches, though. They need that. If they don't do a pass rusher in the first round, hopefully they do it in the second. And they definitely need at least one offensive lineman with one of those first two picks in the first round. You're looking at Baker Mayfield. What are the Browns going to do with him? Now, there are stories coming out of Cleveland that at first they were not going to take anything but less than a first-round draft pick. We were talking about Carolina looking for a quarterback. They did give up their second and fourth with the New York Jets last year for Sam Darnold. It hasn't worked out over there. I don't think they're giving up on Sam as well as they shouldn't. They should give Sam another chance, but they need a quarterback that's going to challenge him. Baker Mayfield would be the perfect fit right now. Both guys were drafted in the same draft. Baker has turned out to be the better quarterback of the two. Where the Carolina Panthers are with their coach, Rule is sitting right now on the hot seat. If this team doesn't take two steps forward this year. He's going to get fired. And why not go after Baker Mayfield? Do you think that Malik Willis will be sitting there and he'd be the guy right off the bat to be your guy that's going to save your chance of keeping your job? I wouldn't bet on it. There is nobody. Pickett is not the guy where I think you can trust that he's going to step right in and be that guy that's going to keep you your job as well. So being that rule is on the hot seat right now, I would absolutely make a call to the Browns and see what you can get for a guy like Baker Mayfield. You wonder, too, with the lack of draft stock that they have, too, what their plan is to be able to either, one, accumulate it back, or two, make that kind of big Let me move. ask you a question. Yeah. If you get Baker Mayfield, if you stay healthy all season long, 
Are you a playoff team if you're Carolina? The NFC is weak. I would say no just because they have to play a lot of the NFC West. Like, if they were playing last year's schedule, I'd probably say yes, though, because they are still talented in a lot of other areas. That's why I'm saying they might be able to afford to do that if they have to trade maybe next year's draft picks. I, I think at this point you're not going to have to trade number six, but they shouldn't be drafting a quarterback at number six nevertheless because you're not going to get the true value anyway. Even if you don't get Baker Mayfield, at least just try out Darnold for one more year. If Darnold doesn't work, he's gone. Just let him go. But at that point, you got other options next year that are better as the quarterback. Darnold's not going to work. I think he's done. Which more, I feel so bad for that kid. It's more of the situation of, I don't think you're investing good in the true value because we've seen quarterbacks get quickly just replaced that easily. And you don't want to waste a sixth overall pick doing that. They're talented in other areas. They might be a playoff team on an easier schedule because the NFC is very weak right now. The North is horrible. The East is bad. And their division, Tampa's very good, but beyond that, there's not much to love. So yeah, they could be. That's why I'm saying you have to make the six pick be valuable for an offensive lineman either trade for Baker Mayfield with next year's picks or maybe wait for his value to fall or just trust Sam Darnold you trade for Baker Mayfield Baker Mayfield could take you over the hump the NFC is very weak it's really a four-team race if you add somebody like Baker Mayfield in the NFC in that division who's the only team that you have to worry about in that division Tampa I think you have a good chance to be a wild card team and you can win 10 games with Baker Mayfield right now you still have Christian McCaffrey right If he stays healthy, you have one of the more prolific offensive running backs in all of football. You have some good wide receivers. J.C. Horn will be back this year. This defense should be very good. You're a playoff team with Baker Mayfield. I think he's going to be able to help you. Plus, he's got a lot to prove. You saw what the Browns did to him. Him going to Carolina and, and with the weapons that they have over there, I think Baker Mayfield could absolutely be a huge pickup for a team like Carolina. So I think they're a playoff team if they get Baker Mayfield, and I think he's the best fit over there. As far as Kyler Murray, I don't know where he's going or if the Cardinals are going to sign him and give him what he wants, but he's already come out and said that he wants an extension. He didn't like how the Cardinal players and management treated him after the playoffs last year, defriended all of the Arizona Cardinal players and the, the organization as a whole on his social medias. What does that tell you? It tells you that he's not happy over there. But I do believe that Kyler Murray will get what he wants. I do believe Arizona is not stupid enough to let this kid go. They need to make this kid a little bit happier and very, very soon because right after the draft, you have OTAs and then the football season's like a month and month and a half away from now. So you don't want to piss off this kid where he's going into the season where he's not going to be happy and he's not going to play at the top of his game. Yeah, I think they'll end up eventually paying him. I can't see them just trying to lose a franchise quarterback again. They've been a bad quarterback franchise. They switched him right away for Josh Rose and after one year after drafting him to pair with Kingsbury. So they have oh, to make that kind of Let's just get rid of him and get another one. Now that you sign Kingsbury to an extension, you really don't have a choice. I think it'll end up being between $35, $40 million a year. I don't think he'll get the price that he wants, but I think they'll make it work. I think so too. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our special guest. We will be talking to Iowa State NFL draft prospect, tight end Charlie Kohler, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by 
New York Sports Team Magazine in the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. When Speedy told me we were going to get this guy on, I was very excited because I was reading a lot about him. He's a top five tight end prospect in this year's draft. And why not get him a week before the draft? We are now talking to Iowa State NFL draft prospect tight end Charlie Kohler. What's going on, Charlie? What is it like getting ready, setting up, just knowing that you have a chance to be drafted to the NFL this year? Super cool. Huge blessing. You know, it's weird. I don't really thought that much about the draft until I got past pro day. First time after fantasy season, then you're getting ready for the senior bowl, then the combine, the pro day. You can't always focus on the thing ahead of you. And you finish up the pro day, you're like, oh, now we're finally here. We're in the draft. So, yeah, I mean, it's super exciting. Just grateful if I get drafted where I land up at. I'm just excited to go to work. So what were those experiences like, both at your combine at your pro day? Good. It's weird. Like nothing I've ever done before. It's like a day-long interview every day. You know, mm-hmm. Meetings, to practice, to working out, to whatever it is. But it was fun. I get to, get to know a lot of the other guys and tight ends in my class. And it's been a great experience. No complaints. As everybody knows, we are talking to Iowa State NFL draft pick, tight end Charlie Kohler. We look at this year's draft class with tight ends and everybody keeps talking about this kid McBride. Everybody keeps saying could be the end of a first round, maybe early second round pick. Now, a lot of people look at the draft board and say that you could be a third, maybe an early fourth round draft pick. What is the difference between your ability, your speed and your size to a McBride where everybody thinks is a top pick in this year's draft as a tight end? I try not to compare myself to other players that much. I just get to know Trey pretty well. He's a great dude. I wish nothing but the best for him. I think everyone offers their own unique skill set. I think obviously a little bigger. The team has to decide what they want and I try not to get into it too much because I have no control over it and I just get upset about things I can't control. So I really don't think about it. I think he's a great player and do great over hands up. I love this kid. You see, he doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus. Usually some guys, they have the cockiness to say, you know what, I think I'm just as good as him, but you know what, let somebody draft me in the third or fourth round I'll become the best tight end in this draft class. So I like it. I like your personality, so I'll take that. Any guys that either were your teammates or guys maybe at your position that you got to interact with at combine experiences that were pretty cool guys on and off the field i trained with greg dulcich and jelani woods tight ends they were awesome i'm so competitive that when i watch other times on film i want to like find a reason like oh i don't like that guy because of that but then i get to know him and they're just good guys it's hard for me to find anything not to like about i trained out with one of my buddies too with the guy jake hummel plays linebacker he had an amazing pro day I think he's a sneaky pick that's going to help someone out whether he gets drafted or free agents he's a hell of a player most of the guys i working out with down to earth good dudes working out hard some guys i worked out with craig jelani um jack sanborn was a cumbles out there it's like tonjis air coming up a lot of guys out there i really enjoy spending time with we are talking to nfl prospect iowa state tight end charlie Kohler. Now, I'm reading about you. Both your parents are professors at the University of Oklahoma and uh, high school teammate of Trey Young. Were you a high school teammate of Trey Young? Yeah, I was. What are your thoughts to Trey Young right now in the playoffs? He'll be all right. He'll bounce back. They're a really good team. Miami played good defense the first two games. I've never been against Trey, though. You know, everyone wants to count him out. He always manages to respond. I don't think anyone was picking them in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. <laughs> he willed that team there. and He has some incredible teammates, but, you know, he's obviously the catalyst. And I'm rooting for him. That city has really embraced that team, and they have a really great home environment. Go to a game when he gets more free time. Every time I think he's here, he just takes another level. It's incredible. <laughs> Does he ever call you? Does he ever reach out to you? We talked. Uh, he came and watched one of the games this year in the fall. It meant a lot to me. He came out to Iowa State yeah. to watch us play Iowa. He's a good dude. We still can stay in contact. He's got a little more money than me, so he can fly around. <laughs> Not for hopefully long. I, hopefully when I have some money, I can 
go see him play. Errol's mentioning that you have parents that are professors. And just you growing up in Norman, Oklahoma, did you root for the Sooners? And also playing at Iowa State for all those years, you guys beat them twice. How did it feel beating them? I grew up in Norman. I liked football. I was a big Sooners fan. Grew up, you know, watching Brett Bomar and Sam Bradford and DeMarco Murray. And it's weird. Once you get older, everyone was asking them, once you're playing the game, obviously it's fun to go to Norman and see the plays. I'm in my house right now. And I live two, three, five minutes away from the stadium. But you know, once you get in the game, like it's just a game. You lose track of where you are just playing. Beat them twice. Should have beat them four times. Every time, it's always is fun to play and beat your hometown team. And always just fun to compete. What should the fans know about you and your talents going into the NFL draft? What is your strength? And how do you sell yourself to a team and why they should draft you? First of all, I'm a great guy I drink a beer with. That's an important thing. It's <laughs> an important quality I look for. Are you underage? You're saying this? I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know you're overage. You know, from Ireland. Guys, it was snowing on Easter. So people <laughs> would drink. Yeah. All seriousness, I think I run really good routes. I was really happy like to be able to have opportunity to perform on Pro Day because I think I do a really good job of like controlling my tempo and deceiving stuff in the route game. But then I always get asked, like, oh, are you slow? I'll, well, I'll just I'll just wait, shut up, and show you that I can run. I think that's the strength of mine, my athleticism. It always doesn't show up on film because I'm not just sprinting off the ball. You know, I'm controlling my speed into my break point and then accelerating and stuff. I'm a really big, strong athlete. I think I run great routes. I think my blocking is good. I keep getting better. You know, I didn't block a ton in line in college. And I think I'm really good in space, especially like blocking in space. You know, I played receiver for a while. I think I do a good job of blocking for red line blocks, you know, for screens and bubbles and stuff. And um, I just think I can contribute. I look forward to the opportunity. Who are your, some of your NFL influences, the football players? that you looked up to growing up. My coach and I always would watch NFL tight ends. We would make this cut up of like explosive NFL tight end catches for the week and we'd watch it during the season. And we install routes. We like go back in the archives. We install routes with Tony Gates and Jason Witten. Like that's how we install our middle search routes and stuff. So I love watching those guys. Current guys, I love watching Kelsey, his stem and his ability to create separation, how he deceives where he's going. And he's so fluid, he's amazing. Try to copy what guys do best. Darren Waller is so good at the way he controls his body downfield, and I wish I was better at that. Zach Ertz is so good at his routes, and coaches from the Colts, we watched a lot of, like, Jack Doyle. Mixing it up, I'm not them, and so I'm not going to try to be someone on that, but just try to learn from the best, like, I think is the best way to become a good tight end. You'll probably be drafted the second day. Maybe some team looks at you as a late second-round draft pick, early third-round pick. Where are you going to be? How are you going to celebrate when you get drafted? Are you going to be with your family? Are you going to be with your friends? What are you going to be doing when when it comes to the draft. I'll stay at home with family. Just keeping it small. My grandma and my girlfriend are coming in, but that's about it. Nine or ten of us. You want to keep the draft party small. Just in case something bad happens, you don't want to have to explain to the party. I'll go see my friends after or something, but... The actual draft party will keep it small. Well, I just want to let you know, you're probably going to be drafted on my birthday, which is April 29th. That is good luck. You're talking to somebody that's born right around the draft every single year. Last year, the first round of the draft was on my birthday. This year, the second, second and the third. third round. So maybe you get drafted in the third round. And maybe you get drafted by my team, the Jets. They don't need a tight end right now, but maybe in the future they'll have somebody getting ready for two, three years down the road when they need somebody. You seem like a really good kid. I would love you to come here to New York. We'll We'll show you around. We'll take you to the vineyard, you and your girlfriend, and you can come and celebrate my 41st birthday next nice. year. <laughs> you like to drink. This guy, he knows every single beer known to man. Known to around here in Iowa or in Oklahoma where you were growing up. I don't know about any of those breweries. Charlie, this guy, every time we go out to a place, a new place, he's always testing this kind of beer, that kind of beer. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to drink it two, three, four new beers every single time we go to a place. Nothing wrong with that. I know you like your beer, so maybe you go drink 
drinking with this kid. Even though you're six foot six and 250 pounds, this guy will drink you out of the bus, man. I was trying to get my body right. I'm not at peak performance right now. Listen, this guy's like 150 pounds soaking wet. And he probably can outdrink half the people when he comes to beer. Oh, absolutely. The guys who could drink the most in college were always the short white guys put down a whole pack with themselves. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. I tell that everybody. Everybody makes jokes. And I say, this guy will drink you out of the bus. <laughs> Anyways, well, before we let you go, you're busy and you're getting ready for the draft a week from now. And we'd love to get you on when you get drafted because I'd love to talk about the team that you're going to and how excited you are going to those teams. So, is there a particular team that really stands out that if you had the opportunity to play for a coach or a quarterback that you want to throw the ball to you, is there a team that you would like to play for? I try to avoid that. Game. I know, I know, but you grew up as a football fan. Maybe at those interviews, there was a coach out there that you really, really liked at the interviews that you would want to play for that particular coach and that particular quarterback. I really don't. Every coach I met with at the combine was great. This is the NFL. There's so many good quarterbacks. Playing with a good quarterback makes it easier. Of course. Good quarterback. As long as I end up in a situation where I get an opportunity. I'm sorry I'm, getting the, I'm giving the vanilla answer. But it's all right. I'm a vanilla know. person. I actually like vanilla and chocolate, so let's put it together, man. <laughs> with a little sprinkles, man. But I have a feeling I know where you're going to go. I'm going to make my prediction. You ready to hear this? You will be drafted early fourth round by the Green Bay Packers. Okay. All right? So if that happens, I'm right. You're going to have to do something. I'll buy the first round. You'll buy the first round. I'm not a drinker, but you know what? If you come out here, I'll drink with you. How's that sound? I think you're a great kid. We've interviewed some great future prospects. We had the top 50 on the show going into the college last year. And now we've interviewed a couple of draft picks over the last couple of months, future NFL draft picks. And you really stand out. I think you're a good kid. You're smart. You're educated. And honestly, you got a good personality. I think you would fit here in New York, either with the Jets or the Giants or even Buffalo. It's funny. So, like, I had good success academically and stuff. My coach, I was thinking, so the question I would get would be, like, some scout would come up to him. So, uh, coach, super smart, really does a good job in academics. Is he just weird or what? <laughs> <laughs> so, when I come in, when I do the interviews, like, I'm just relaxed. in my authentic self. It's really funny when you told me that. I'm like, I guess I got a bad reputation going in. I'm reading about you. Out of all the tight ends, you have one of the biggest hands. Fast for a tight end and they say that you're very strong you're not a great blocker but you're very strong when you're running your routes you're a strider you have a very good stride so i'm looking forward to watching you and getting the opportunity to really be a fan of yours i never got a chance to watch iowa state play so i had never seen you play but i've watched clips of you i've popped it up over here clips that pop up as a prospect i'm looking forward to watching you play man there are a lot of tight ends that were drafted in the third and fourth round that became nfl superstars if you believe in your talent and you believe in the work, you put the time and energy in, you can do anything. And you're a smart guy. You know that. You come from a family of smart people. I'm going to be a fan of yours. I want you to succeed. And when you become an NFL superstar, you could say, you know what? I interviewed with those guys, and they're two of the funniest and the best interviews I've ever had. I mean, I'm not going to jump on your shoulders, man, when you're six foot six and I'm like 5'10", and you're twice the size of me. For a guy my size, I'm 220, 230 pounds. I'm a pretty big guy. I work out. I'm a workout guy, too. And I'm coming off an injury myself, and I was an athlete. So I really respect people like you, kids like you. You have a dream. You went after your dream, and you're going for it. Now you have the opportunity to really make a name for yourself and support your family in the future. So I, I really respect you, man. Keep up the good work. I appreciate it. This was fun. This was fun. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of other comments. Your coach at Iowa State, Matt Campbell, is one of the best coaches in the country. I agree with the Matt Campbell comment. He's, he's the best. I, I love him. He was going to be an NFL coach, right? Yeah, he was in a lot of talks last year. I know the year. Jets were yeah. interested in him. They released the Lions offered him a job, and he turned it down. Yes. 
He turned down a couple of jobs. But I think eventually he'll take an NFL job. When the right job comes along, that it just really stands out to him. I think he will get an NFL job. He's coached a lot of good NFL players. His program's as good as any program right now in the country. And look at you, man. You have an opportunity to really succeed and come out of Iowa State and become a successful NFL player. And you should be really fun to watch moving forward in your career. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Looking forward to getting to work. Yes, and we're going to be talking to you because once you get drafted, I'm going to have Speedy reach out to you. and I want to get you on the show. I want I know your thoughts of that team. And if it is the Green Bay Packers, man, I'm going to tell you, I told you so. Remember I, I said so. that. I don't know if you talked to Green Bay, but they need a tight end of yeah, your stature. I, I had a formal with them with the combine, so. Really? Look at that. So maybe I am right. There you go. Gaining some traction there. You're going to talk yourself into this theory and just become more confident. <laughs> you know what? I should be the new Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper should be coming for me. Errol also has a fan share of the Green Bay Packers, so maybe he'll be negotiating with That's their right. draftees. I own a piece uh, at of the them. end of the third round, hey, Green Bay, I, you should trade up for this guy. Minority owner. I have one share. <laughs> of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> so you own like that little speck of dust? A little speck of dust. I, I might own a piece of sand of them, okay? You don't own the seat. You just own like the back of the seat. That's right. Seat. I own nothing. How's that sound? I own the bottom of the gum on the shoe of every single player. How's that's that? A, that's a good deal. Yeah, well, whatever. You know what? Rogers, you know, you're lucky you got that contract. I was one of the reasons why you got it. So there you go. <laughs> Anyways, Charlie, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks, guys. I'll be rooting for you, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Stay good. Have a good evening, guys. See ya. Absolutely. The great Charlie Kohler, ladies and gentlemen. Funny kid. Great kid. Smart kid. Finally, we get a prospect that is something to talk about. I'm just kidding, ladies and gentlemen. We get a lot of good prospects. But Charlie's a nice kid. We're very happy for him and happy that he joined us. And we're going to be keeping our fingers crossed. Hopefully, goes to Green Bay so he can come out here and <laughs> Give me a couple of beers, you know? Yeah, you I don't said drink. you would be drinking if you, he gets I drafted will. by Green Bay. If he gets drafted by Green Bay, I might even have to fly out to Green Bay, and he can show us <laughs> some of the nice breweries out there. But he'll have the money. He'll be able to fly us out there. But Charlie, hopefully, he'll be a good friend of the show moving forward. I like the kid. I hope he gets drafted very high. It becomes a great NFL superstar right in front of our eyes. We've seen George Kittle do it. He was a top five prospect at the tight end position. And everyone had Everett Ingram ranked above him. Oh, they were wrong. <laughs> about that. Uh, And Charlie Kohler right now is the fourth or fifth best tight end in this year's draft. I can't wait to see where this kid goes. Hopefully it is Green Bay, but great, great kid. And if you guys missed the interview, you can check it out on the Worldwide Sports Radio app. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got Moneyline Mania. Oh, how wonderful. Chaz and no crew to this week. We'll go through some of his picks and some of the guys' picks. Worldwide West will be back next week with some of the other guys. When we come back, Money. Lime Mania, only on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Remember, you can download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we don't have the guys, but we have the man. We call this Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania. Which has and the crew. Remember, this segment is also brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly. Check them out every single Thursday moving forward on the World 
Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We don't have World Wide West. We don't have the team, but we have the man, Chaz. What's going on, Chaz? I have reached out and talked to a handful of the guys. It's been a busy week for me personally, and therefore, I'm trying to wrap up everything to get started back with our new season. So I do have some nuggets from people, but it's so low tonight for me. However, I've got something that I wanted to talk to you guys about, which is this whole last-minute sports betting thing. I think it could help people. Absolutely. And with sports betting here in New York, it's hundreds and millions of dollars the state is making off sports betting. And why not help everybody every single week? 80% right over the last seven, eight weeks. We're very excited to have you on, Chaz. And thank God we've got some winners. So are you ready? The first thing, Errol, is you made a great point. That number, that 70, 80%, whatever that number is, it sounds great. But if you know what you're talking about, you know that's not enough information. Do you remember my cousin Vinny? Of course. When she says that's a BS question? <laughs> yes. Yeah. A winning percentage is BS. And you see it if you're looking on Twitter or you're on any social media and these guys are spinning out that number. It's BS because you don't have enough information. Again, we talk about it. Hector is a great handicapper. But if he's wrong on one game, on a big favor in soccer, and usually the way you lose at soccer on a big favorite isn't that they lose the game. It's that they tie. They have a draw. And in soccer, as Hector has mentioned, it's three-way betting. So if you lose somebody that's minus 400, then you've lost $400. And you're betting $100 on the other three. Well, now you are three and one. You've got 75% winners, but you're down $100. And so just be careful. If somebody's spewing winning percentage only at you, don't listen to them. That's absolutely true. And everybody thinks that they're a handicapper out there. And everybody's a sports better now. Here in New York, the beef thinks he's a better. He's won a couple hundred dollars. A couple of weeks ago, he won like $1,500 betting on the tournament. And a couple other games, won a lot of parlays. And he bought himself a nice little iPad Pro where he spent $1,500. So you can win some money and you can invest your money into more wonderful electronics. But why don't we get into the betting? NBA playoffs? Tonight, game four between the Minnesota Timberwolves hosting the Memphis Grizzlies. I want to give a shout-out to your buddy because that's the smartest thing to do. I know so many guys that are up 1500 You talk to them three days later, they're down 200 They didn't take out the money. They didn't buy the fancy electronics. So pat him on the back for sure. I'm not patting him on the back. He's a cheapskate. That's why he pulled it out because he didn't want to use his own money to buy his iPad. So why not use his betting money? That's the only reason why, my friends. So one of the things that we talked about is New York, it's legal. It's Saturday night. Listening to the radio right now as you're driving somewhere because you've got an engagement with a significant other or some business function or something where you know you're not going to actually be able to watch the game, you're not going to get involved. So you don't even look at the game, you don't even bet it, you say forget about it. And then at the last minute, something changes and you get a cancellation. And all of a sudden now, you've got an hour to look at all these games. The first thing I do is I use a website that I can find all the information. Personally, I like covers because they're one of the oldest in the industry, and they're great. And it's simple, covers.com. But what I'll do is I'll have Memphis on one screen, and I'll have Minnesota on the other screen, and I just do a a quick glance. A lot of times, I'm reading you guys these numbers every week because we've already got them written down. But tonight, I had a last-minute cancellation, and I am joining you guys. So we're going to look at Memphis on the road at Minnesota. First thing that jumps out at me is this is 
game four. That's important, but remember in the old days when the NBA, no matter who played, they won the home games, teams covered. I mean, it literally was that they would win four games to three, the home team would cover every game, and those days were fun because it was pretty easy to bet. Nowadays, it doesn't work like that. So I'm looking at Memphis at Minnesota. The fact is, Minnesota's lost two games in a row, but it looks like Memphis is the better team. I did watch a little of that game. Would you guys agree with that statement that Memphis looks like the better team? Oh, absolutely. They've been the better team all season long, the number two seed. We expect them to be as good as they were throughout the season, and they probably have the best player in the series. Now, the one thing I've noticed, because we talked about it the last game, these overs are 240 points. That's a lot of points for an over. You look at the Golden State game we're going to talk about next. Their over-under is 224. When you're betting live action, one of the things I've noticed in my career with live action, and I've been betting live action more than most people because we started with it on Sports Betting Weekly years ago, they don't always adjust the line accordingly. So the other night, this game was at 239, and it started out really slow. If you open up covers, guys, It said they were estimating that the final score was going to be 219 points. If each team scores a run in the first inning of a baseball game, that's two runs. They're going to tell you the final score is going to be 18, which is they just do the math. But they didn't adjust on the line. They still had the line at 237 or 236, which really close to the original line. So what I did is I bet the under. The way I looked at it is estimated to be 219. They're saying 236. Well, that's a big difference. That's 17 points. The final score was 104 to 95. It was under the number by 39. Guys, it was one of the easiest bets I had ever won. They never even threatened. They had a little period, I think, in the second quarter where they kicked it up a notch, and they're right in the second half. So that's the first thing that's jumping out of me. These last two games have gone under the number, and they're not moving that number any. So what they're saying is they expect these teams to keep scoring, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe Memphis is just so much better than Minnesota that Minnesota's not going to be able to score any points. Which is surprising considering they were the highest scoring team in the NBA and Memphis was second. So maybe that's where these overs are coming from. But yeah, it's weird they wouldn't have been able to adjust that when Memphis's defense has played very well so far, especially late in the game. Right, but the reason they don't necessarily adjust it is because the people aren't reacting to it. So if the people are going to keep that in the over, and it was 40 points. Think about that. Well, you're going to not change it. I think that total is too high. Then I look at the point spread. Minnesota's getting three at home. Home teams are supposed to win, and they did. Remember, they upset them in the first game. That was at Memphis, and then Memphis came back and, and dominated in the second game, won by 30, basically. This game, I think that 104-95 score, it wasn't as close as that score. No, the uh, Timberwolves blew two 25-point leads in that game. Yeah. If you looked at that game, John from GMF Sports has talked about this all year long. Oh my God, the first quarter, one team won by double digits. The second quarter, the other team won by double digits. It's just crazy how the NBA works. One of the reasons, God bless his soul, my father said, don't bet on basketball because the craziest stuff happens in basketball. But I'm looking at, at, at three and the 232, which is they're showing it. I like Memphis in the under here, but I would not be afraid to say Memphis money line in the under 
you know why we have that money line media bet that we made basically just for you guys, which is you bet one unit on the money line and then a fraction of that on the point spread. As long as you win the game, they win the game, you're going to be fine. In this case, I would say my play on this game would be a two-teamer. Now, normally, I'm always going to bet a two-teamer straight. In this case, I've got a lot of action for Sunday. I'm going to go with Memphis on the money line. They just have to win the game and under 232.5. And that's a play that I just handicapped right in front of you. Whether it wins or not, guys, we'll find out. I like the Timberwolves in this game. This is a very important game. I like Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is a negative 110 for 23.5 on the over. I like Anthony Edwards on the over with 23.5. I think Anthony Edwards could score 25 to 26 points in this game. D'Angelo Russell right now on the over is 18.5, negative 1. I think he scores a little bit more than 18 and a half, so I would definitely bet on that. I really like the Timberwolves in this game. They need this game. The Timberwolves are at home. They lost their first home game. I can't see the Timberwolves losing back-to-back games at home as an offensive powerhouse. So give me Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and the Timberwolves in game number four. What's nice about those personal bets, the player props, you get to have a situation where all that guy has to do is have a good game and you're going to be okay. I have no player props right now for the NBA, but when they get down to the final four teams, and I've seen a a couple series, I'm going to have definitely some player prop action. I like Anthony Edwards in this game. 23.5, bet him on the over. And D'Angelo Russell, bet him on the over on 18.5. They're going to play a big part. I know Carl Anthony Towns is 24.5 on the over, negative 105. I'm not going to bet Carl Anthony Towns because one of these guys are going to have to take a step back. And what D'Angelo Russell has done in this series is use his speed to get to the hole and do the things that he is strong at. And I expect D'Angelo Russell to do it again in game number four. So give me the Minnesota Timberwolves and bet D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards on the over. The Golden State Warriors going for the sweep in game four at the Denver Nuggets on Sunday. Wes, who couldn't make it today, told me that he this week bet Golden State to win it all. He got him at six to one. And it was very excited when the Suns left because, really, you got to look at the West. It's going to be Golden State and Phoenix unless something changes. They're going to have to play. So I did the same thing. I'm just doing last-minute handicap. And all I see on Golden State is W's. All I see on Denver is L's. The point spread on this game is 4 and 224. So Golden State is minus 175. This is a game where I'm going to make a lot of bets on this game because we have won a lot of money on Golden State, and we've been doing it with Golden State and the over. They have cashed. Not five out of six games. They have cashed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of nine of their last games. And the over in their last six games, it has been a Golden State and over parlay. It's happened four in a row. If something happens four in a row, I think it's better to assume it's going to happen five in a row. We have talked about the roulette table before, right? With the red and the black. And these people come up and they put all this money on black because it can't be red again. Yes, it can. I like Golden State in the over here, but I'm going to bet it a little differently. In the first game, I'm just betting the parlay. In this game, I'm going to do the Golden State Moneyline Media Special. Take the 175, three quarters of that on the four. If they cover, I win them both. If they win, I'm fine. If they lose, I lose, but I'm going to lose. It's sports betting. You lose. We're going to lose one out of four, maybe one out of five games that we bet, but I'm also going to have that parlay. Everything I do remember is for the first half and for 
the game. In this case, I don't like the first quarters in these games. Look at what we said about that game where they had the big lead, right? They had a 20-point lead. Yeah, I just don't yeah. like that in the first quarter. We have seen so much this year of the bouncing back and forth of these teams. So I'm going to stick with that. And then at halftime, we'll see where we're at. On both of these games, once I see, remember handicapping is look at what happened in the past and try to apply that to what you think is going to happen in the future. But halftime ain't the future anymore. Halftime is real right now. So at halftime, I'd be willing to, to not hesitate to change a play. You gotta, if you're betting a game and you're only betting the game, called your names in the past. That was wrong of me. It's your money. You should be able to do what you want with it. All I'm saying is you have to understand sometimes you're wrong and sometimes you're right. Either way, you can save yourself. If you're wrong, you bet the other way and you win. If you're right, you keep betting and you cash like we do six or seven or eight times a game. Well, this is going to be an interesting game. We don't know if Jamal Murray is going to play in this game or Porter is going to come back. Now, there are stories coming out that a lot of people are attacking Jamal Murray, that he hasn't stepped on the court in this series when people believe he's 100% healthy. I don't know what Denver is doing with Jamal Murray if they're going to try to get him on the court in game number four. It would be very helpful for this team to have Jamal Murray and Porter on the floor to help them at least win one game in this series. I think Golden State will win this game, but I also believe there are certain players that I would bet on in this game when you're looking at points. Aaron Gordon is supposedly uh, 14 and a half, negative 125 on the over. I think Aaron Gordon will score more than 14 and a half in this game. I think he'll score about 17 or 18 points. Also, Nikola Jokic, 13 and a half, negative 115 on the over. I think he's going to have an under game. I do not think he's going to score 30 and a half. I think he's going to score a little bit less, 27 or 28 points. So bet Nikola Jokic, the Joker, on the under in this game. So I predict Golden State will win. Aaron Gordon on the over 14 and a half and on the under for Nicole Jokic, 30 and a half. Expect them to score 27-28 in this game. We had talked about team totals are great because technically you don't even have to watch the whole game. Now in football it's a little easier to not watch. In basketball they go back and forth pretty quick. But the best part of your plays there is you don't really care what happens. If they take him out to seven minute mark, they're going to give him a rest for whatever reason and whatever period it doesn't matter. You could literally go to the front, make a sandwich, grab some chips, a nice cold beer. I don't know what your favorite beer is. I like Italian beers. And then you go back to the TV or wherever you're watching on your phone. You got your sandwich, you got a beer, you got chips. Life is good. And then the guy goes back in. You didn't miss a damn thing because you don't care what the score is. I agree with you, but I just think what they did in the second half to stop Jokic, I think they're going to continue doing that. And if he doesn't have another player that can hit shots, and none of them are hitting shots right now, and there's no Jamal Murray or Porter on the court that can shoot the three or hit the three. They depend too much on Jokic. The Golden State Warriors know that, so they've been doubling sometimes when he gets to the hole, triple teaming him and making him force up shots. I think they're going to continue to do this moving forward in this series if it goes any further than four games. So well, We've seen that in, in every sport. That guy ain't beating me. I don't care what sport it is if you don't have that backup guy, the guy that says, okay, it's my time to shine. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Aaron Gordon, because of that, will have a better game. He will score more than 14 and a half. Bet Aaron Gordon on the over. Nicole Jokic 
on the under. I think this is going to be one of the young player games for Golden State. I think they're going to use this game to try to not wear out Steph Curry and Klay Thompson with the injury. So definitely, I like Jordan Poole a lot. Also, Andrew Wiggins is a guy I like to have a big game in this one as well. All right, Chaz, you want to do some baseball games with top pitchers in it? This is the same situation, right? Sunday morning, you got to go to Sunday brunch at a fancy country club that doesn't have but one TV in the bar. If you bring your phone out, your in-laws are going to go off on you. And then all of a sudden, your middle-in-law comes down with COVID, and you are free. It's Sunday morning, but it's still noon, and then the game starts at 1 o'clock, so you have an hour. So I, I want to teach you some of the things that I do. First of all, we know by what they make in their paychecks. Errol said it numerous times. The pitchers are the most important player on the field, mm-hmm. so we're going to look at some pitchers. So you're going to give me a couple games that you're looking at, Petey, that where on Sunday both pitchers are already listed because a two be determined it's not going to do me any good. I, I need to see both pitchers. If it was tomorrow morning, they would already be listed. But I've got an early schedule here, and I've got a, a few TBDs. So just avoid a TBD yes. game and come up with a game for me. Believe me, Chaz, I'm used to the TBDs driving me crazy. So yep. we'll start yep. with one with the Blue Jays and the Astros. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi on the mound for Toronto, 3.24 ERA this season, and Luis Garcia for Houston, 2.79 ERA at Houston. So what I look at, and we talked about this, is the continuation of of what they did last year to what they're doing this year. So if I was going to take the time to look at this game, I would have two monitors up or I'd have multiple screens that I'd be going back because what I want to see is, is this year an aberration? So he's pitched twice, going eight innings, got a whip of one and a half, Give up three earned runs in eight innings. That's not too bad. And I look over at uh, Garcia, and Garcia's got pretty much the same amount of innings. He's got nine innings, but he's got a whip of under one. And his career, he's a young pitcher, right? He's 29 years old, but came over from Japan, so he hasn't pitched in the yep. majors very long. Garcia's young. They're both kind of the same, but in the regular season, Pacucci's been in 72 games, and this guy's only been in 30-something games. So, yeah, Garcia only and, came up last year, yes. Yeah, but the only problem is when you start looking at pitchers, that's one thing, but Toronto's lineup is so really good in terms of, of, of the runs they're scored. So that's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm going to look at their games. I'm going to say, hey, I go right back into covers, and on covers, I open up the line. Now, remember, that's one of the reasons why we're looking at pitchers is because we have some still games going on Saturday that we're not going to know what they're doing. And one thing about Major League Baseball, I'm telling you right now, when teams are on it, you guys know, you're big-time baseball fans back there. When teams are on it, they're on it. you got to assume they're going to keep scoring runs. And when teams are not scoring runs, we look at the, the Yankees every single game. They're minus 170 or minus 200. And then they go on those three, four, five, six games in a row where they don't score. Dodgers do the same thing occasionally. Now, over the course of the year, yeah, if you bet the Yankees team total over, the Dodgers team total over, a lot of times you're going to win more than you lose. But during those streaks where they're not scoring for whatever reason and they start tweaking with the lineup, those are times you got to take advantage of and you got to make your opportunities to score some runs. So let me look real quick at that Toronto lineup because that one has won me so much money. Those kids, right, there's what, three of them? They're all like... Yeah, Teoscar Hernandez is hurt right now, but Bichette, Gurriel, obviously Vlad Jr. that was MVP runner-up last year, and now they bring in Nat Chapman, so they are loaded in that lineup. Yeah, that's the one thing about them. You could have great numbers as a pitcher. It's all who you face, and as we get later in the year, without a doubt, it'll be a little easier. So Houston, they're not really scoring. Two, one, two, two, one, four, two, eight, two, zero. So those are numbers that are not scaring me. And if I look at Toronto, three, six, one, four, five, four, zero, six, zero, three. 
I noticed them in the past. They do that. They bounce a lot, whether it's, you know, they're facing pitchers or left-handed, they don't bat right-handed, whatever the case may be, over the course of the season. But their unders are 8-2. and two. The games aren't going over because they're not giving up runs. They're giving up 2-1, two, 2-3, one, two, one, and then a couple fours. So that's where I'm leaning. I'm, I'm leaning on this game. I'm betting the under on this game. These are two young, good pitchers. I'm hoping that with a team like Toronto, you see it a lot with Boston. You see it with the AL East, almost all the teams. Those other are usually a, a half a run or even a run more than they should be. So that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to not worry about the game. I'm going to bet the under. I'm going to hopefully see in the fourth inning one to nothing, and then I might end up doing what Wes does. I might hop on the dip and go with the over. That winning two bets by having the over and the under in the same game, I love doing that because when I'm out at bars, I get to screw with people's heads because they don't understand the concept of how could you win with the under and the over. You can only do it in live action. Your San Diego Padres with Sean Manaya on the mound are hosting the L.A. Dodgers, a bitter Southern California baseball rivalry. Clayton Kershaw on the mound for the Dodgers. First thing, how many times have we talked about Clayton Kershaw in terms of the point spread with him? It's just brutal. He is so overcompensated for. It's not like he doesn't give up runs occasionally. He gives up runs, and sometimes he gets whacked pretty good. So let's look at that game real quick and see what's jumping out at me. I'm not saying that this happens every day or every week. There's at least three or four times a month where I'm looking at the clock because, as you know, if you're betting online, the game comes off the board. Right. So you've got to get your bets in on time. The Dodgers are winning games, and they're just not giving up runs. They look like they could win a championship. When was the last time they won a championship? The Dodgers? Two years just, ago. Yeah, they just won one. Exactly. They're a little lost there. Before then, it was like in 1990, right? 1988. It's Kirk Gibson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Dodgers are like world beaters beating the Cincinnati, and we had them. And every single game was a money line win. So we did the same thing that we did with the Money Line Mania. We were given like $180 to win 100 and then we were doing the run line. And we got sometimes, I think we got plus 115 when they won by more than one and a half. And every single game, they did that. They swept. They played Atlanta the three games before that. They scored six total runs. This game is really going to be, for me, an easy play. I'm betting on the Dodgers, and I'm laying the one and a half because I'm not going to take Kershaw at the odds that he's going to be at because the odds he's going to be at are going to be really, really high. I don't bet on baseball. I'm not going to pull something out of my rear end and say, you know what, I'm going to bet this guy, I'm going to bet that guy in, in a particular baseball game because it's still early, and with pitchers, you just don't know how on they're going to be in that particular game. Some pitchers pitch well for two or three games and then fall off. So I can't bet that Kershaw's going to have eight or nine strikeouts in the game because last game, I think Kershaw pitched very, very well. you got a, a great point that if you're not going to bet baseball and you decide you're for whatever reason that you are you just go look at maybe their last three or four games and you'll find a guy or two that's jumping out of you in the box score and there's where you can get you know, your player prop mm-hmm. but the other thing is when these pitchers are pitching good you gotta have them for the first five innings you look at Kershaw they had a perfect game and they pulled them right yep Seven yep. innings, How sick yep. would you be if they pull your pitcher in the fifth inning, he's winning three to nothing, you don't cash a ticket, 
and they end up losing four to three with relievers. Well, so you got to have that first five inning with these stud pitchers. We've seen this from the Dodgers manager before. So he's done it three times when his pitchers have had perfect games going into the sixth, seventh, and even the eighth inning. He pulls them for some reason. It doesn't make any sense. I know he's trying to save them, but it's what, 12, 13 games in the season? It doesn't matter if you're playing him for the whole game and trying to get him the perfect game. How many times do you get a chance to pitch a perfect game? Clayton Kershaw has never pitched a perfect game. There's only 23 perfect games in Major League history. And he had a chance. He had three more innings, and he could have pitched a perfect game. That was a horrible move by Roberts, and that's why I think Dave Roberts is one of the worst coaches, one of the worst managers in all of baseball. You do have to at least talk to him and say, hey, listen, I'm going to let you go till you give up a hit, or I'm going to let you go till you hit somebody, or I'm going to let you go till you walk somebody. But you don't take them up perfect. There's no logic for that. A perfect game isn't a high pitch count. Then again, he gets paid to make those decisions. He gets paid to do absolutely nothing because he has one of the best lineups in all of baseball. And it's not hard. Me and you could be the I'm manager. I'm with that. Let's <laughs> get speedy. I'm third. You be in the dugout. I'll be on first base, coach. <laughs> I uh, can I, sit I there. I guarantee the Dodgers. We would probably win as many games coaching the Dodgers as we do giving our plays on this show. You're probably right. You're absolutely right. And we'll definitely be over 65%. Anyway, Chaz, tell the boys thank you. We will get them on next week. I know Worldwide West was chipping at the bit, but he had something to do over there in Kansas. I know he's a busy man right now, but we'd love to get you guys on in full force next week. We really appreciate your time. Always, man. Always be cashing. There you go. Chaz from Sports Betting Weekly. Check out their show every single Thursday at 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. They should be back soon. So definitely check them out as we move forward. They're the best handicappers in the business. Listen to what Chaz is saying. He gave you some good plays. I gave you a couple of good plays when it came to the NBA. Definitely look at those games, the Denver game, Memphis-Minnesota game as well. Definitely check that out as you move forward. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some baseball conversation. The Yankees, 176 right now in men in scoring position. They're not hitting the ball. They're having problems right now. I know it's early. I know it's a little bit cold. Hopefully when it gets warmer, the ball starts driving and starts going over the wall, not under the wall. When we come back, we'll get into the Yankees and the New York Mets, who are just absolutely sizzling hot here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, I know you're a Mets fan. I know you're looking forward to the Mets season, as well as a lot of the Mets fans are. What are your thoughts early in the season with your New York Mets. They look as complete as it gets. Now, we've seen the Mets do well in April of the past and then do nothing after that. So everyone's going to overreact like that. There's nothing like that. But they look like a more complete team finally. They're doing the little things. They're good defensively so far this year. They've been good base running, which has been a weakness of theirs really since the 2006 Mets. And they're finally hitting with runners in scoring position. 
wow. I don't know when I ever said that ever. Because the Mets, for years, have had potent offenses that have been third, fourth in the National League in runs that have been the second worst or the worst team with runners in scoring position. Now they're finally doing it. They have a very complete lineup. It seems like they have good depth. They've been healthy so far. That doesn't mean anything, but they've been healthy so far, which is a good sign. They got their stars going. Lindor's hitting. Alonzo has 14 RBIs. You got Starling Marte, who's hitting. He's had a couple little trouble defensively, but that's really it. Jeff McNeil has been very impressive as well. And I think Mark Khan has really been the great addition so far, hitting-wise, we've seen this offseason. Khan has been very, very good. Leads the team at 379 batting average. And he's been coming in and, and hitting in the clutch for the New York Mets. And Lindor is getting paid a lot of money, so a lot of Mets fans wanted to see him take a step forward. He has been. He's four home runs, 10 RBIs. He's a hot hitter right now. He's batting over 300. So there's a lot to talk about with the New York Mets. Max Scherzer's pitch well. Bassett has pitched well. Mets fans are looking for Jacob deGrom whenever he decides to appear on the mound in June. The Mets could have the best rotation in all of baseball, one of the best rotations we've seen in a very long time. So you would expect this team to be a powerhouse playoff team this year. The question is, is this team going to stay healthy enough to get into the playoffs? Last year, they were fighting injuries in the second half. They made that trade for Baez, and with everything that was going on with Lindor and Baez on and off the field, you would think that this Mets team would have found a way into the playoffs. They didn't. They won, what, 78 games? This year, they're expected to win between 85 and 90. And if they win 85 and 90, they should make the playoffs this year or even win that division in the NL East, which is not very prolific. It's not at the top of the league's best divisions in all of baseball. So it's a division they should win with Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom at the top of your rotation. But we got to see these hitters and this lineup hit throughout the season, which has been a huge problem all season long last year and really for the last couple of years for the New York Mets. Their bullpen is Horrible, their, their bullpen still has some work they have to deal with because their bounce-back candidates that I thought with Lugo and May definitely still haven't been getting it going. Drew Smith has pitched well so far, who's been a nice young asset. Jason Shreve, the former Yankee, has done well coming in as that lefty guy, but really they don't have much in terms of consistency beyond that. Edwin Diaz has done well in safe situations so far. Hasn't really been used much so far this season. He was out on paternity leave, but so far so good with him, and Buck Walter actually knows how to use him in only safe situations so far, but he's even gotten four out saves as well and gone longer and the rest of the starting rotation McGill Bassett they had her first duds of the season this week against the Giants but still off to a nice start hopefully they can keep that going Carlos Carrasco I give him a lot of credit not pitching for a lot of length Carly Carrasco but has Carlasco but has been Carlasco (laughs) yes he's been pretty efficient so far and even good strikeout totals 20 strikeouts so far this season 1.47 ERA and providing some good stability with these guys still hurt Raspy Roscoe I like that Raspy Roscoe yeah well, that'll be interesting moving forward if he can stay healthy. That's been a big problem even when he was in Cleveland. But moving on to the New York Yankees, I don't know what to say about the Yankees right now. And as a Yankee fan, you can't bury yourself because right now they're tied in first place. They're in a division which is the hardest division in baseball. The division is right now beating each other up, which we expected this year. And that's why the American League, you're seeing Cleveland 7-5. and five. It has the, almost the same record as the right. Yankees. I have almost the same record as the Blue Jays. And then even the Angels that are playing well because look at the division they're in. So the Yankees are in a hard division. And yes, they're not hitting in men in scoring position. This lineup is not that bad. 
I cannot see this lineup as it gets warmer out. Half the lineup hitting in the ones, in the lower twos. I think this lineup is much better than it is. Rizzo has been their best hitter so far early in the season. He has four home runs, 10 RBIs. Giancarlo Stanton has eight ribbies, and he has two home runs. Uh, he's batting about 260, 270. The guys that aren't hitting, Aaron Judge isn't hitting. Glaber Torres isn't hitting. DJ LeMayo always hits. You, yes. you don't have to worry about DJ LeMayo. He's going to hit 300. He's going to give you that clutch hitting. Donaldson, I thought, was going to be hitting better than this, but I think he'll get hot. I think he's got one or two home runs and, and a couple of One home run, three RBIs. Three right RBIs. So hopefully Donaldson figures things out. He's a good defender, and this team's a lot better defensively than you ever think. But, Speedy, what do you think about this Yankee yeah, team? Yeah, I think the depth is really what they're supposed to be priding themselves on. It just hasn't been there yet. And I think, as a result, we've seen trouble of the Yankees past carry over where it seems like only one or two guys are hitting at once. And this year, they're like the Mets, where they're not just not hitting with runners in scoring position. I saw a couple instances of this past series against Detroit. They left the bases loaded a lot of the time. And you just can't do that if you want to be able to do well, not only winning that division or doing well to make the playoffs, but in the playoffs, too. That's a bad identity to have. And, yes, LeMahieu has been one of the best contact hitters and one of the best with runners in scoring position since he's come to the Yankees. And they need somebody else beyond that, though, to make that kind of thing work. We've seen good production from Aaron Hicks so far to start the season. Uh, 378 on base percentage, Anthony. Rizzo 390, and that's a good sign, but they need other guys to start stepping up and do more than just either walk or hit home runs, which seem to be the mantra that the Yankees have right now, because they're wasting a lot of very good pitching outings, too. We've seen Luis Severino do well. We've seen certain spurts of the bullpen doing well. Jordan Montgomery had a nice start this week. The Yankees have to take advantage of these better pitching that they're getting with this better hitting, because they're wasting good outings from guys like Severino and Cortez, who's had a really good start to the season so far. Mm-hmm. And even some of the young relief pitchers, they've had to pitch very well. Yes, and, and right now the Yankees bullpen is one of the best in baseball. And that's a good sign because it's been a very weak bullpen for the last two years. And hopefully Aaron Boone doesn't wear them out. And we've seen this before. Their starting rotation has not pitched well. Garrett Cole got knocked out by Detroit in the second inning with 64 pitches. Looked horrible. You do not want to bring your bullpen in in the second and third inning and wear them out early in the season. If this bullpen could stay together and play as well as they are going into this year's playoffs and if they make the playoffs the bullpen has become so important in the playoffs it really has because starting rotation if those pitchers are not pitching well in the first three or four innings and they're giving up two or three runs they're taking them out you need that prolific bullpen that really gives you those innings where you can keep the runs off the board and give you a chance to win the Yankees haven't had that the last couple of years that's why they lost against the Red Sox last year in the wild card game because Garrett gets pulled out that bullpen couldn't hold anything together. So I expect the Yankees bullpen to be as good or better than we've seen in the last three or four years. And that's a good sign for the Yankees, but they need to start hitting in timely. Timely hitting for the Yankees is so very important to where this lineup could be prolific in one of the top offenses in all of baseball. The best thing about the Ace Yankees bullpen, new names coming through for them. Michael King, .84 ERA this season. Lucas Lecky, 1.69 ERA. Clark Schmidt, who could be a starter too and has been used, I think, as an opener once. 1.23 ERA. Jonathan Loiza got one rough outing against the Orioles. Beyond that, has pitched well. Miguel Castro, who they traded for from the Mets, had one rough outing and pitched well beyond that. They're getting those kinds of roles put together. It's not the Yankees' bullpen where they had a set 7-8-9 anymore. They have different guys pitching in different roles, and that's the new age of baseball. That's what you're seeing now with teams that use starters out of the bullpen, teams that use top pitchers in different roles rather than just a pure closer. The Yankees are finally going away from that because these other veterans have been struggling in years past. And last year, they've had trouble with their bullpen as a result in terms of trying to win those 
those big games. And this year, yeah, they're still having trouble winning big games. But like you were saying, that's mostly because the hitting has not come through with runners in scoring position. 176 is abysmal. It's horrible. It's horrible with the lineup this prolific, this good offensively, can hit for power. Aaron Judge isn't hitting. He didn't take the Yankees' $213 million offer. He might regret it in a long run, especially the way he's been hitting so far. I know it's early, but hitting 250, one home run so far in the first 12 or 13 games, that's not a good sign for Aaron Judge, especially a guy that's going into his walk year and wants a huge amount of money. So it doesn't look good for the Yankees right now, even though it's still early, but they're still tied in first place. And when you're saying the Yankees are hitting 176 in their first place, that's a good sign because when they start to hit and start to figure out how to win, that's a good sign for the New York Yankees. Yeah, you got just got to hope that the pitching also stays at there too because, yes, the Yankees' bullpen is doing well now. Will it last? The Yankees' starters up and down. We should expect Cole to bounce back at some point. When will it happen? And will they be able to just play well amidst all that? Because the Yankees, they only seem to do well in certain spurts and when one the guy's off, the other guy's on and vice versa. They just need to get it all together all at once. You mentioned the defense finally playing well and the bullpen. That's a good sign. Now the hitters have to join. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, what do we got, Speedy? We got crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great show. Our NFL prospect, Charlie Kohler, joining us. Fantastic interview. Great, great kid. Definitely watch the draft and watch where Charlie is going to be drafted in his second or third day. I think he's going to be a fantastic NFL player. And it's just been great with Moneyline, Main and Chaz. Thank you for joining us. With everything going on with all the different handicappers and with their private lives, they couldn't join us. But Chaz joined us tonight and gave us some good winners. So definitely check out that part of the show if you're a handicapper or if you're a better if you want to win some money, check out Moneyline Mania every single week on the Weekend Crunch. Speedy, what do we got? We got Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Alright, we got all NFL draft predictions this week. First one, buy or sell. Derek Stingley will be drafted before Sauce Gardner. I believe he will. Over the last couple of weeks, everything that we've heard, his pro day, he looked really, really good. He looks healthy. A lot of these scouts are saying that he could be the best corner we've seen in a very long time. As good as Sauce Gardner is on paper, Stingley was one of the best freshmen we've ever seen. He has missed a couple of years, so I think he looks good. I think he looks healthy. Jamar Chase has speaking a lot of high values of this kid. I expect him to be a higher draft pick than Sauce Gardner. I'm going to sell it just because I think Houston, with them bringing the Patriots mold with Nick Casario over there, they love big physical corners. I think Sauce Gardner fits that mold perfectly. I think Stingley will go in the top 10. I could see him going to Atlanta. I could see him going to Seattle. But I think Gardner will go first. I'm going to sell it. All right, Trayvon Walker will be drafted before either Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson. I'm going to sell that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Hutchinson goes before everybody. I think Thibodeau goes second. 
Walker will probably fall somewhere in the top 10. He does not go over Hutchinson and Thibodeau. I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. I think his hype has just gotten in too late more than anything else. Yeah, he's, he's a, a great nice player, player, by the way. He's a nice player. I think he's worthy of a top 10, top 15 pick. I just don't know about that early when it comes to Hutchinson, who's a very complete athlete in Thibodeau, who has as good of upside as anybody. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Somebody other than Garrett Wilson will be the first wide receiver drafted. I'm going to buy that. I, I do believe it. Williams keeps moving up in the draft board, especially what he did on his pro day. Drake London, who did his pro day, he didn't run his 40, but a lot of people like him. So I could see both players getting drafted in front of him. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I, love, I think Jamison Williams is getting that hype right now. He was thought of as that number one guy before he got hurt for a while. So I could definitely see it. And he is a good scheme fit for the Jets. If he's available there at 10, if the Jets don't trade for Devo Samuel, where I could see that happening. But even after that, wouldn't surprise me. I will buy it as well. All right. Akem Kwanu will be drafted before Evan Neal. I'm going to buy it. I don't know why Evan Neal is getting pushed down. A lot of these analysts believe that's happening. Maybe there's something we're not seeing. We have not heard at this combine, but I'm going to buy it. Kwanu had a great combine, had a great pro day, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think Jacksonville's been very interested in him for a while. We've seen Houston be interested in him for a while. I think that both of those scenarios definitely present itself. Plus, he can also play guard. He can move around. Smart guy, too. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that kind of thing happen. If you're talking about weird of the top three, that might be the weird of the top three where we're thinking the two pass rushers and Neil. I think Aquanu, the Jaguars, or the Texans could throw a monkey wrench. I will buy it. All right. Debo Samuel will not be traded before the draft. <laughs> I'm going to sell that. I think it's going to happen. He's already told the 49ers he does not want to stay on the West Coast. He wants to move out east. His family's over there. Uh, I think his fiance is pregnant. I think he wants to go back out east, and I think that's where he wants to live. So I am going to sell that. I think he will be traded. Yeah, I'll sell it, too. I think he's too too valuable of an asset. I think it definitely, with the way teams trade for wide receivers now, somebody will make the jump to make it before happen before the draft. Because the 49ers, I don't think they're going to sell him short, either. I think John Lynch, I've been critical of him in the past with the contracts, but he's too good. Where I don't think they're going to get him. Not a first-round pick, so I'm going to sell it as well. All right, Kyle Hamilton will be drafted in the top five. I do not believe he'll be drafted in the top five. He's a top-ten pick. He could fall to Atlanta. He could fall to uh, maybe Carolina at six. I think Carolina would love him, too, because he's that kind of, like, leader, like a Luke Keekley that you could bring in. You can maybe put it some size, put some weight on him, and becomes a linebacker, outside linebacker. So I believe he'll be a top 10. I do not believe he'll be a top 5, so I will sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. I think maybe Atlanta, maybe Seattle. I just don't see it in the top 5 with any, anyone there. Detroit, they don't really have a history of doing that with safeties. Houston maybe is the one team that could, but I think it's more likely for Sauce Gardner or for an offensive lineman. I think the position, we've just seen too many trends of it not getting drafted early. I'm going to sell it. All right, last one. Kayvon Thibodeau will be a Jet or Giants. I'm going to buy it. It just makes a lot of sense. They have said that the Jaguars are not interested in Thibodeau, and the Lions have not been said they're interested in Thibodeau, and the Houston Texans really have not been interested in Thibodeau. You have to see that if Thibodeau is sitting there at four or five, that the Giants or the Jets are going to scoop him up. I can't see any of those teams passing him up, especially the talent that he is, the upside that he has in this year's draft. Could be the best player in this year's draft and the most athletic. So I am going to buy it. I'm definitely buying it. I mentioned Joe Douglas's draft history with the Ravens, with the Eagles. Love taking edge rushers in the first round or with their first pick. I can't, I can't imagine if Thibodeau is not there. The Jets don't scoop him up. And if the Jets maybe do something else with that pick, trade it or something like that, trade back. The Giants will take him too. The Buffalo love to draft pass rushers, young pass rushers the last couple of years too. So if the Jets for some reason don't take him, I, I can't imagine where they wouldn't, but I think he goes to the Giants too. But I definitely think he's a New York Jets. I do too. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. 
If you're a draft guy and you want to look at the boards, we'll be doing that probably this week. We definitely got to look at it because we got some big people listening to the show. So I don't know if we're going to be doing the draft boards this week. And if we do, it'll probably be the last hour of one of the shows to check it out. So it's going to be very fun as draft week is here, April 28th, a day before my birthday, April 29th. So I'm very excited about it. Where did the Jets go? Where did the Giants go? You should all be very excited, even the Buffalo fans and the Cowboy fans out here. I'm sure everybody's interested to see what the Cowboys are going to do. And no, they're not getting Sauce Gardner. I don't know why <laughs> anybody thinks that. But a lot have this dream world that they're going to jump in the top 10 and get Sauce Gardner. There's no way in hell they're getting Sauce Well, Gardner. the last time a uh, top 10 prospect overall fell to them in the middle of the draft, one Cowboy fan wasn't particularly happy about it. No, I don't think the Cowboys are going to have a chance. There's no way. They would have to get in a top seven to get him. I don't see it happening. Unless the Cowboys make some kind of crazy <laughs> trade. And get... Or they trade three first-round picks to get there, yeah. Uh, they're going to have to give up a lot. But there you go. That's it for our show. Thank you to Charlie Kohler, NFL draft prospect, Chaz from Moneyline Mania. Check them out. I'm really excited to see where Charlie goes. And when he gets drafted, we'll get Charlie on the show again and interview him again on the excitement of where he is starting his career as an NFL player. So excited for this kid. That's it for our show. We'll be back next week in Until next week, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.